0: And our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. You can find on in the Pew Bibles on page 17 in the New Testament section. <clears throat> Today concludes our sermon series of eight faces as we um, encountered eight women throughout Scripture. And, uh, and as we encounter these women, we, um, they help bring us face to face with Jesus. Today we encounter a woman that does not have a name. But she's been known throughout history as the Canaanite woman. Just to give you a little bit of background of where we are in Matthew. Matthew has twenty-eight chapters, so we're about halfway in between. So Matthew fifteen, chapter fifteen is about halfway in between. Jesus got um, it just came out of an argument, uh, an argument with the religious leaders about the traditions um, and the principles that elders should have. It was a pretty heated argument, And and it says that he withdrew. And as withdrew, he withdrew, he moved away. And this whole time, Jesus has been in Israel. He's been inside the Israel. He's been working with those that are the Israelites, the Jews um, in that area. He has not really ventured out beyond that. And this says he goes, went into the, the border of Tyre and Sidon, is what we're going you know, say. No, know about Tyre and Sidon. So Tyre is in the Old Testament. Um, we learned that they're in the Old Testament. They would take from the Israelites and steal from the Israelites, food from the Israelites, this sort of bad blood um, with them and the Israelites, and the Canaanites were there as well, too. So the Canaanites go back into the, again, um, they didn't see eye to eye with the Jews at all. They clashed on economic needs, on technology, on political goals, um, going back many, 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 many thousands of years. Um, The Jewish people often called the Canaanites dogs. That was a word for them. It wasn't a very loving relationship. I invite you now to listen to God's word. Jesus left that place in a way and went away to the district of Tyre in Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from the region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, Is it, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. In the year 1985, Microsoft released Windows 1.0. In the year 1985, New York was the first state to require seatbelts for front seat only. Michael Jordan was the NBA Rookie of the Year. The Cosby Show was the most popular TV show in the United States. And Back to the Future was the largest grossing movie. Blockbuster, Quicken Loans, Papa John's, Samuel Adams were all founded in 1985. 1985 was from Coca-Cola created new Coke. Years prior to this, Pepsi went all over the United States conducting blonde taste tests. They set up um, kiosks in malls and shopping centers and grocery stores, taking off the labels of the drinks and asking people which one is better. And almost always, Pepsi won. After a while, RC Cola got into the fun did their own blonde taste test. And guess what? They beat out Coca-Cola as well. Unsure what they do, Coca-Cola gets into the mix, but they do their blind test, taste test quietly in a secure uh, focus group within their um, headquarters. And guess what? Coke lost. They created a new Coke called New Coke, <coughs> did, a new, did more blind tests, and New Coke beat out Coca-Cola. All around the United States, quiet focus groups overwhelmingly Preferred New Coke to Classic Coke. One professor tried the test with his students. It didn't surprise him the outcome that Pepsi and RC Cola was beating out Coca-Cola. What surprised him, though, was how mad people got at him. They got mad. Even his family members would get mad at him when he told them that they selected RC Cola or Pepsi over Classic Coke. What made people so mad, they did not want him or anyone else changing the story within their mind that their story was classic Coke was better. Perhaps that's why New Coke failed. Sure, some have said, well, if you drink the whole can, and not just a sip, the outcome is different. But most likely, what none of us wanted was a story of Coke to change. After all, Coca-Cola gave us the image of Santa Claus. It said, don't worry, have a Coke and smile. The story of the Coke was community. I like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honey bees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Y'all know the song? Come on. I like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. I like to teach the world to sing. Come on, here we go. In perfect harmony. That's right. I like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. The commercial ends with these words, that's what the world wants today. When New Coke was distributed, Coca-Cola got death threats. The world hated it. Or do they hate that the story had changed? Whether it be friendships or family or childhood. Community, history, theology, our church, or anything else we hold close to our hearts. We do not like these stories within our lives to be changed. Especially when, when these alterations disrupt the very ideas we have of the ways things are, or were, or should be. I think this is why our gospel lesson this morning is so difficult. Never mind the language and the tone of Jesus. Within this passage, the very story of who is in and who is out, our faith, our theology, and even the humanity of Jesus is disrupted. It's changed. Up until this point, Jesus was ministering to Jews and never hid that he was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew 6 Jesus says, do not heap up any empty phrases as Gentiles do. Do not be like them. Matthew 10, Jesus sent out his disciples with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The instructions were clear. Halfway through the gospel, Jesus finds himself on the far borders of Israel. Where he is approached by a Canaanite woman. It's difficult, Tom Long has noted, to overstate the drama here. Jesus has just withdrawn from an angry confrontation with the Israel officials over tradition of the elders. Now he, he runs into this notorious ancient foe of Israel, a Canaanite. Jesus is on the border, all right. He's in the border between the male and female Jew and Gentile friend and enemy, holy and demonic, old story, new story. story moves quickly. The Canaanite woman goes to Jesus, begging Jesus for mercy. The text says she was shouting. A better translation for that is that she was screaming. She was screeching. This mother was so worried about her daughter, she was screaming for Jesus' help. Jesus' response nothing. Jesus doesn't say a word. This woman screams. Jesus keeps moving. Her screech gets so bad, the disciples finally beg Jesus, for goodness sake, make it stop. Make it stop. On the side of Easter, reading this passage, Jesus' response is astonishing. He, He repeats to her what he told his disciples in chapter 10. I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman, this mother. Worried about her daughter, she pushes back. Kneeling down before Jesus, she simply says, Lord, help me. For the third time, Jesus' response is astonishing. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, his mother says. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs. Fall from the master's table. And for the first time in this encounter, we hear the message that we've all been yearning to hear since they two of them talked. Let it be done to you as you wish, Jesus says. And her child is healed. What just happened? Something happened in the story. Something happened to Jesus. What happened? Was Jesus wrong in chapter 6? Was he wrong in chapter 10? In the first three encounters with this woman, was Jesus wrong? Frederick Buechner has written, principles are what people have instead of God. To be a Christian means, among other things, to be willing, if necessary, to sacrifice even our highest principles for God's or our neighbor's sake. Jesus didn't forgive the executioners on principle because in some unimaginable way, he was able to love them. Principle is an even duller word than religion. To suggest that Jesus changes during this encounter, challenges, Many of our stories of Jesus and God's unchangeableness. There's an argument to be made that Jesus was just teeing this woman up um, to teach uh, the disciples that God's message was for all. As Scholar Chelsea Harmon suggests, it's unraveling really for us, unnerving, to think about Jesus the Christ learning something. But if Jesus is fully God, and fully human, is there anything more human than learning? After all, we probably did not mind considering the young Jesus in our minds. Sitting in school, learning Arabic and Hebrew. We don't mind some image of Jesus, 10 year old boy, sitting with his dad, Joseph, as Joseph teaches him to make a chair. If we don't mind that image, then why do we mind the adult Jesus learning? Is it bothersome that we think maybe an outsider could have taught Jesus? Maybe we think if Jesus was being taught something here, then everything else that Jesus said we have to neglect. But perhaps we think Jesus couldn't have changed. He was without sin after all. But I'm not sure if this encounter counts to be sinful. If it is, it is no sin to make an honest mistake. No sin to get startled. No sin to be unaware of something. Perhaps Jesus really did think that he was supposed to limit himself to Israel. Like a woman's night shelter focused on the safety of battered women only. But what do you do if you're the director and a man comes and knocks on the door one cold, rainy January night? you let him in? But if you do that, that breaks the bylaws of the nonprofit. If you reallocate money to give to him, then people didn't give for him, they gave for the women. If you let him in, you risk the safety of the women staying there. Or do you just sympathize with him and send him down the street? Could it be? Could it be that Jesus, who earlier in the gospel, was heard to be said, let your light shine before others that all may see the love of God. Be ye reconciled one another, turn the other cheek. Could it be that Jesus found his own words also working on him? God's love and paramount principles, no matter who we are. Through this Canaanite woman, God changes the direction of Jesus' ministry. And in doing so, God changes the story of Jesus, of Israel, of the Gentiles. changes the story of you and me. This is God's story after all. And God's story is an inclusion. It was there from the very beginning. It's quietly woven into the genealogy of Jesus. The first people to visit Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew are foreign scientists. At the end of the gospel, Jesus gives a great commission. Go and and make disciples out of all nations, Jesus says. Baptize all of them. Teach all of them. And don't you forget, I will be with you the whole way. Oh yes, God's future. God's story may not be what any of us can envision at this minute. But don't ever mistake that God is at work in every one of us, often in the most surprising ways. In his autobiography, Breaking Barriers newspaper columnist Carl Rowan tells about a teacher who greatly influenced his life. Rowan relates how his teacher, Francis Thompson, had given him a sense of opportunities in God's great creation. One day, uh, she read a quote to him, a tribute to the Chicago architect uh, Daniel Burham Make no little plans, they have no magic to stir. Our blood and our probably in themselves will not be realized. Make big plans, aim high in hope and work. In a speech some 30 years later, he recounted that event. After a newspaper printed the story, someone mailed the clipping to his beloved teacher. She responded, writing to Rowan, You have no idea what this newspaper story meant to me. For years, I endured my brother's arguments that I had wasted my life, that God wanted more for me, that I should have done something better with my life. When I read that you gave me credit for helping you to launch your marvelous career, I put that clipping in front of my brother. And after he read it, I said, you see, you see, I did not waste my life, did I? In God's great world, my life has made a difference. Tomorrow, many of you will face a classroom full of students. Some of you will do it for the very first time in your career. Those of you who have been doing it almost for 30 years. No matter where you fall on that spectrum, I hope you know this. I hope that you know what you're doing makes a difference. That you matter. In God's great world, your life is making a difference. And the kids looking back at you, Every one of them, every one of them, matters too. In God's great world, their lives are making a difference too. I wonder if this is why many of us come to worship. I wonder if God brings us here to remind us in this great world, our lives matter. And the life beside us sitting in the pew matters too. And then the life of every face that we meet on the street matters. In our passage this morning, the Canine woman goes from screaming at Jesus, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. To kneeling. Lord, help me. Anytime you hear kneeling in scriptures, it's a position of worship. This woman, this mother this, was worshiping Jesus. In doing so, I think she wanted to be reminded. She wanted to remind others that her life, that her daughter's life, Matters. Right there in the middle of worship, God opens Jesus' eyes. Jesus, the obedient Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, is the Savior of the whole world. And the world was changed. Michael Ventura in his book, Teacher as a Healer, says the artist, the educator, the therapist walk different paths in different ways. But, but those paths meet at an intersection where the street sign says, You must change your life. We do not go to the artist, the educator, or the therapist to remain the same. We go to them to be given the vision and the tools to go on. And to go on is always to change. David Lowe has observed that this could be applied to church and faith as well. But maybe sometimes we forget that. We don't go to the artist, the educator, the therapist, or faith to remain the same. We go to church because we want to be changed. Church. We want to know that we matter and the lives beside us matter. But underneath that requires us to be changed and transformed. Sure. Perhaps some people go precisely to remain the same, I guess. To be have preconceived um, and all ideas and all their prejudice affirmed. To be told that their black and white judgment line up quite nicely with God's but those willing to give themselves completely over to Jesus Christ. We know that while life is beautiful, it's also incomplete. And that while we are capable of many things, saving ourselves is not one of them. And so while many motivations may lead us through this door any given Sunday, deep down, we come hoping to hear or experience something that not just will affirm or even inspire us. Deep down, every one of us want to be changed. As Ventura says, the vision and the tools to go on. So what happened? What happened when Jesus encountered that Canaanite woman? To go from an insider message to a message of hope, of of life, and inclusion. A message for all. What happened to Jesus who ends the gospel with an urgency to, to reach out to the very ones he had early excluded? What happens to us when a life that looks trapped all at once becomes a very garden of change? And growth, in life, and hope, well, by God's good and persistent presence. We learn that there are no exceptions to death. There's no exceptions to grace, and there's no exceptions to the resurrection. What changed? In Matthew's gospel, in Jesus with us, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, that's what happened. Well, the culture around us finds it nearly impossible to let go of all those stories that are blocking our imagination of God's world. This is what God's story is telling me and you today. There are no exceptions, no barriers, no limitations, no boundaries on resurrection. That changed Jesus, that will change you, and that will change me, and that will change our church And then together as a church, we follow Jesus as God changes the world. Amen.